You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast. I'm your host, your pal in the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Brunt. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Brunt NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And of course, today, big news the Vikings got an offensive lineman, and we are going to spend the whole day talking about it. Now, this is not Eric Fisher. This is not Forrest Lamp, who a lot of people have been asking about. This is not, you know, Russell Okung or any of the big offensive line names that are still out there, but they did go and make a trade for center Mason Cole, fourth year man he will be this year out of Michigan. He played for the Arizona Cardinals for the first three years of his career, mostly played center. He he swung around to both the guard positions. He might have even played a little bit of tackle in 2019. Of course, 2019 was a, a pretty rough year for uh, the Cardinals on the offensive line. They had a lot of injuries, so he had to play around a whole bunch of different places, so he gives you that versatility, right? He can play all the positions, and that's always very exciting, but of course, he's been kind of spotty, right? He's not a superstar lineman. This isn't Rodney Hudson, you know, this stalwart, super reliable guy. He's had some pretty rough games and for reasons we'll get into his evaluation in super depth later. Um, But suffice it to say for now, he's like, okay, at best, or he has been okay at best. And the Vikings seem to want to move him from center to permanent guard, which is uh, not a place he's played in the pros permanently. He's started a couple games there though. And they have, I think, a pretty good reason to believe that that will work out a little better. Again, we'll get into that later, but that seems to be the plan right now. For Mason Cole, they gave up their uh, sixth round pick, one of their sixth round picks, the compensatory one. So the lower one, it was the lowest pick that they had remaining. Of course, they had a seventh round pick until last week. They lost it because they broke some practice squad rule or other in 2019. I still don't know if we know exactly what they did, but they did ended up uh, getting slapped with a seventh round pick being confiscated. So the lowest pick that they had access to is the one that goes to Arizona. Uh, that's pick 223. So they're now down to 10 picks. But I think if you're going to have the value conversation, right? The first question is what is going to happen with that sixth round pick that is more value than whatever Mason Cole is? And here is something that I'm you're going to hear me say a lot, especially as we get closer into draft season. Players are a range of outcomes. Players represent a range, right? These are not Madden cards with OVRs and, you know, Mason Cole's is a 75 and that's what he's worth, right? Players embody ranges of outcomes. Mason Cole could work out. What is the what is the best case scenario for Mason Cole? The best one you can envision, right? That that is possible if they get as lucky as possible with this, right? It's that he's a starting guard and he plays well. So it could be a sixth rounder for your starting guard. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is he's like backup center, or maybe he doesn't make the team or something like that. Although I would be pretty surprised there. That's worst case scenario. So you paid sixth rounder for your next Brett Jones, basically. That also doesn't seem that bad. So for a value consideration, I think sixth rounder for Mason Cole totally works out, right? Um, And I think in general, paying late day three picks for players who are already in the league is pretty good. Now, Mason Cole's on his rookie contract, but he made the team, you know, three times in a row. A sixth round pick making the team three times in a row kind of outdoes the expectation you would usually have for a sixth round pick. So for that, you probably got a player with that sixth round pick that is better than anybody you would have drafted in the sixth round, unless you get mega, mega lucky with that sixth rounder, right? And it ends up being like a Stefan Diggs situation. But barring that, you're 
getting somebody who is like well above the average outcome. So that value works. Now there is of course the problem of you're only getting one year of this guy and then you got to re-sign him versus when you pick somebody, you get four years of him before you get to re-sign him. Um, but again, barring all that, this is an outcome that is probably better than what you would have gotten with that sixth round pick. So again, the value question isn't very much of a question at all. I think most people will agree that even if it's just O-line depth, O-line depth for a sixth rounder, solid, let's go. I think the problem that you could have with it, if you're going to decide to have a problem with it, is what if this precludes them from getting other offensive linemen, which I I don't know. Um, If they get Mason Cole and he's just penciled in, thrown in as a starter, and that's going to be it, I think there's a lot of problems with that, right? That seems very much like settling and like saying, ah, we don't have the cap space to do anything at offensive line, so we'll pay a sixth rounder and he's going to make about $2.3 million on the last year of his rookie deal with a performance escalator because he's played enough snaps. That's how those uh, day three contracts work. Um, and, you know, so he's going to pay you know, $2.3 million, sixth round pick and we got a guard and that's the best we can do. I think there's a problem with that because it seems like they have enough cap to really do something. We'll see what they end up spending that cap on. But if we get into a situation where, you know, the season starts and not much has changed, like maybe they drafted someone to play the other guard position or something or play tackle and Ezra Cleveland's there and they end up like rolling over, you know, 10, $15 million worth of cap space. But, you know, they end up starting like Ezra Cleveland out of position and like Rashad Hill at tackle or something like like, that's a disaster, right? So they still have to get more offensive linemen. But it seems like this brought the floor up because right now here's the worst case scenario, injury notwithstanding, because that always makes the worst case scenario worse. But here's the worst case scenario if they don't get anybody else, right? Your line probably looks like this. Rashad Hill at left tackle. Mason Cole at left guard, Bradbury at center, Cleveland at right guard, Brian O'Neill at right tackle. That is the worst the line can be, again, barring injury, right? That's your floor. So you've brought the floor up. Now the floor is not like Drew Samia starting or anything like that. We've gotten out of that nightmare, and we're in this new, lesser nightmare, but still kind of a nightmare. They still need to get more offensive linemen, like for sure. And so if this move precludes them from getting offensive linemen, if this was their move, that's pretty bad, but not because this move itself was bad value. The value of this move was fine, but because of a refusal to do other moves. And and that's pretty rough, but it feels like critiquing a separate decision because the critique is not necessarily the decision to get Mason Cole for a six round pick. The, the critique is the decision to not do anything more than that and, and to say that this suffices. And who knows if the Vikings will do that? I don't think they will. I think that'd be pretty insane. But if they do, then, you know, we can criticize them accordingly for that. But for now, uh, you know, it still seems like they're in on uh, safeties. They've been talking to Monte because he just came off of the, the market. I don't know if the Vikings were really ever in the run for him. He's, of course, coming off the Achilles, the old Falcons safety. Uh, he signs with the Cowboys. Jaron Curse also signed with the Cowboys, which takes the Cowboys out of the running. That means uh, Xavier Woods, who w- was their starting safety, probably is heading elsewhere, and the Vikings have been uh, in- have inquired about him, as well as some other safeties whose names we don't know yet, but they they're getting a safety right, and maybe they also make another move on offensive line before the draft. If not, you know, they're they're still obviously going to be into drafting as many of these offensive linemen as possible, because at the end of the day, Mason Cole's contract expires next year, so this shouldn't change your draft plans that much. So I think they're still pretty uncomfortably priced into offensive line. Uh, they're really uncomfortably priced into safety right now. I'm assuming that changes by draft time, but they're still... Too uncomfortably priced into drafting offensive line for me. I would like them to relieve a little bit more of that pressure, even though some has been relieved, like not enough yet. Um, But let's talk more about the player they actually acquired. I said he was spotty and I said he'd be better at guard than center. So let me explain myself on all of those fronts. But first, let's talk a little bit about 
Grambling. The men's tournament is starting back up. I think the women's tournament just set their Sweet 16, so we're in a little bit of a holding pattern, which gives you all the time you need to make some bets on the Sweet 16s on both NCAA tournaments or on uh, NFL futures, like who's going to win the NFC North and stuff like that. If you believe in the Vikings, the odds are pretty high right now. So you can head on over to betonline.ag. If you don't have an account, you can make one for free on your mobile, on your computer. It's super easy. Sign up for free, and then when you make your first deposit, make sure you enter the promo code Locked On because that can get you a 50% welcome bonus. That means for every 100 bucks in your initial deposit, you get 50 free bucks on top of it to play with. It's free grambling money. Do not pass up that opportunity at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk about the evaluation of Mason Cole. If you just go onto his PFF page and you scroll some of the games, you're going to see spotty performance at best and, and some blow-up games, a couple of good games, but not nearly enough, right? And the thing about offensive line is c- consistency is key, right? If you make one highlight block and mess up three blocks, you had a terrible game, even if the highlight block is awesome, because winning by a lot doesn't really help you in offensive line. You can pancake the guy or you can hold up by the skin of your teeth. Either way, if it didn't affect the quarterback, it didn't affect the quarterback. But if you get beat really bad versus if you get beat just a little bit that's a lot different and it kind of is more about your losses than your wins when it comes to football and it's about that quantity right he's given up five sacks in three years over i think like 1100 ish snaps so a pretty solid sample to only give up five sacks it's been i think like 50 pressures which is not excellent especially for a center um and and at center i think he had experienced a, a lot of problems especially as a rookie And, you know, it's kind of a murderer's row, right? A lot of DeForest Buckner snaps before he got traded to the Colts. Uh, A lot of Aaron Donald, right? Though I guess I should caveat that he usually got Michael Brockers in those. Uh, Aaron Donald, I think, preferred to attack the guards when when he played Arizona. He's better at three tech, I guess. So Mason Cole would get a lot of the nose tackle, a lot of the zero tech. That's the biggest, baddest dude on the inside. um, And that's not exactly the best pass rusher. That guy's only job is to push him to uh, their credit. They would get a push a lot on Mason Cole, and that might be concerning, right? And you might be hearing a bit of a familiar pattern because guess what? Mason Cole's better at run blocking than pass blocking. Everybody upset? Did you turn off the podcast? Okay, good. They're gone. We can talk about real football now because there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Um, but if you wanted to just split it up, run pass, call it a day, then there you go. His run blocking is better than his pass blocking, just like the last 800 Vikings linemen who haven't succeeded, right? But I would say his pass blocking, like uh, obviously there's so much more to this and his pass blocking is a little more consistent than what we've seen out of the guard position lately. Um, and it seems like he's a little better at guard than at center. And again, we'll get into the more nitty gritty reasons for that later. So stay tuned. Um, but it, it still represents a market improvement over like Dakota Dozier and the Drew Samia disasters and stuff, which isn't to say that's where the standard should be. But I think he would cross that standard comfortably enough that we can make it so the standard isn't there anymore. And again, this is providing a floor. I don't think the Vikings should be done here. I don't think he's good enough to quite justify that. Um, and he just has too many inconsistencies. And I, when I see the way that he loses, I see a, a couple of problems that rear their ugly heads kind of over and over and over again as we get deeper into the tape. I'll mention them, but I think the biggest thing we should probably be concerned about would be his snaps. Now, I don't think he's going to play center, but if he were a backup center, then you have to think about this. Ian Rappaport said they might move him to guard. I think Ben Gessling said it makes sense that they would move him to guard. I think Chris Thomason said, yeah, stands to reason that they would move him to guard. So I think everybody with like inside knowledge is getting the vibe that he's going to move to guard. So I think he probably will. And again, this is the position switch thing, right? He's played mostly center for his career, and now he's going to have to learn a new one on the fly. But he does have some experience there. So it's not quite as bad as moving like Ezra Cleveland to right guard, where he's just learning totally new crap from scratch with 
no preseason. That was egregious, right? This is a little less egregious, and it might be good for him because it seems like he's a little better at center than at guard. And part of that is the snaps aren't great, so take that away from him. As uh, we were all kind of reacting to the news uh, online with uh, Arif Hassan, and I got into it back and forth about Mason Cole, and his. there were some fun anecdotes about his snaps at the Senior Bowl. So he went to the Senior Bowl, Mason Cole did in 28 teams when he came out, and uh, he was snapping horribly to the point where one of the offensive linemen catching the snaps in those drills um, just started moving to the left to like more accurately get it. It's like when a baseball player that can't hit right comes and like you see all the outfielders shift and that was all over his draft reports too so a a big part of my process when I am getting to know a player that I have not researched much before right I did not take the time to look into Mason Cole very much I remember looking into him a little bit in 2018 before the draft but not even that big he was like a day three center like whatever so and I'm gonna guess a lot of you are in the same boat right you didn't hadn't heard of Mason Cole at all before this why would you pay attention to like Arizona's like decent center like who cares right Um, So as we get to know a new player from scratch and we've got three years of data to look at them, part of the process is going back to their draft stuff. If you remember it from 2018, if you were really into it, there are a couple people who are like, oh, I loved Mason Cole coming out. And I am so happy for people like that. Like your random like day two draft crush interior offensive lineman ends up on the Vikings after all. I wish... Nothing but joy upon you. But as for the rest of us, we have to start somewhere. And I think the old draft evaluations are a great place to start because honestly, the draft like community nailed it on, on Mason Cole because everything you see in his draft report shows up. And so I'm going to kind of itemize that out. And then in the next bit, we're going to kind of go over them all. But uh, there was a lot about how he's got a little bit of a strength issue. It's not that bad. It's not like what Drew Samia had. It's not like what Elfline had. Uh, Garrett Bradbury's is, I think, a little worse than uh, Mason Cole's. But on the whole, it's like they can still anchor. They're not just getting like forklifted into oblivion. And I'll add that if they are, it's due to other issues. Like there's an issue with the way he sets his base. That'll explain. There's a ton of issue with his hand fighting. And and in the draft evaluations, there was actually a not a very good consensus on his hand fighting. And I think it's because it was hard to evaluate. Some people were really impressed because his hands are very active. He uses them. He doesn't just set a punch and then that's it, right? He's he's very, but it's like chaotic. And uh, it's that's easy to counter if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing with your hands, and there are plenty of defensive linemen in the NFL that don't come in with like a, a straight up like hands plan in every single play. That's what you're supposed to do. But I think only the really that's kind of what separates the the goods the good from the great, right? Is that they always have that pass rush plan. And if you have that pass rush plan, his chaotic hands are really easy to, to counter because they're sloppy and they're uncontrolled and they're a little bit too frantic. Um, but if you don't have that plan, that franticness can be really hard to kind of get a good punch in through. There are a couple of examples that I put on Twitter that I'll, I'll describe in a little bit, but his pan technique is, I guess, difficult to evaluate, but I think it's it's exposed more often in the NFL than it was when everybody was writing their college scouting reports on him. And a lot of people said he probably shouldn't be a center because he can't snap. So again, don't think he's going to be a center. It really sounds like the Vikings are not going to make him a center, and it seems like he probably shouldn't be a center. And a lot of the things you have to do as a center also affect some of the problems that Mason Cole has right now, and moving him to guard might give him a better chance of kind of pulling out of those funks, which we'll talk about all of that in just a second. But first, 
it's time to chat a little bit about Built Madness. Built Bar is, of course, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They taste like a candy bar, but they're low in sugar, high in fiber, high in protein. It's a protein bar, but you wouldn't believe it on its taste. So today's matchup is the birthday cake one versus the cookie dough chunk one. Like, listen to those flavors. Uh, and right now in the final four, mint brownie, beet coconut puff. I'm so excited about that. The last coconut one is still in there. Cookies and cream beat coconut almond. Birthday cake beat regular coconut. So we have almost done away with the tyranny of coconut. Although this time it's cookie dough chunk versus birthday cake. I mean, honestly, this is a, a heavyweight matchup here. But I'm going to go cookie dough chunk. The birthday cake one's just a little bit sweet for me. But if you want to try them for yourself, you can go to builtbar.com or check out at bar underscore built on Twitter if you want to take a vote. And if you want to buy some for yourself to try it out, enter promo code LOCKEDON15 at checkout. That's LOCKEDON15. You get 15% off of your order at builtbar.com. So I want to get a little bit more into the nitty gritty about Mason Cole and, and why he struggles in the way that he does. But the way that he struggles, again, as a center, I think he gave up like 23 pressures. That's a few less than Garrett Bradbury gave up. So in pass protection, um, it, that's that's an issue, right? For an interior lineman, um, that's, that's not good enough. But all too often, we as fans, we kind of only have a hammer and everything seems like a nail. And the only problem or the only way to uh, solve a problem like Mason Cole isn't good enough as pass blocking is to get rid of Mason Cole and get somebody else instead. Maybe that's what you wanted. But... I think we can be a little more creative than that, or at least a little bit more precise. And the way that Mason Cole loses when he loses, I see two things that come up. The way he sets his base and his hand technique, which we already talked a little bit about. But let's start with the way that he sets his base. Uh, and this is beyond the snaps. The snaps are just kind of very inconsistent. He just probably shouldn't be like plan A entrusted with doing that uh, unless, you know, it comes down to injuries or whatever. But the way that he sets his base is very chaotic and rushed. I, I think rushed is the way that I, that I want to put it. And he often sets his base too wide, which betrays his leverage, and then he gets blown back a little bit. And here's the thing about Mason Cole. He satisfies all of the Vikings' typical athletic thresholds. Just yesterday, we were talking about their athletic thresholds for interior offensive linemen. He didn't have a great bench, and that kind of matters. Uh, but the big ones that matter are the broad jump, which, of course, simulates your power. He was above 100 inches in that, and that's what they care about. And uh, the flying 20, that means the last 20 yards of a 40-yard dash, which is kind of a good simulator for your top speed, and he crossed their threshold in that. So that seems to be satisfactory athleticism, both in strength and in speed. So I don't think there's an athleticism issue here. I think it's technique. And I think when you set your base too wide like that, and a lot of it is because it is rushed, and you, of course you're rushing, right? When you're a center, you have to snap the ball, you have to get set, you have to get your hands up. That's a lot to do. And if that's not natural, you have to kind of rush the process. And as he rushes that process, it's not particularly precise. Meanwhile, there's a nose tackle in front of you who gives you a head fake and you bite on it. And then suddenly he's he's established what they call like the half man relation. He's won the half man relationship, which means he's gotten only one of your shoulders. And now you have to stop him with half of your body. He weighs like 350 pounds and he's a Greek god. He's going to get past you. This was a lot of the worst, the ugliest plays you'll see from Mason Cole or him just kind of getting juked. It's almost like, uh, you know, a corner and a wide receiver just kind of getting him to step the wrong way. And, and then he cedes too much space. 
base, and a lot of that comes from rushing that pass set, and then also just not setting up a great base. So if he does have to accept a bull rush, he's going to have that much more trouble anchoring. The really interesting one to me, though, is his hand technique. Because again, this is one that like scouts disagreed. Well, I don't know if like NFL scouts disagreed with, but the scouting we have access to, the kind of draft community, the Dane Bruglers, the Lance Zerlines, Jordan Reeds of the world, they disagreed on his hand technique and whether or not it was a positive or a negative. And I think that kind of frenetic, that chaotic, uh, like imprecise, I guess, but very active, that works in college, that hand technique, um, and I think just gets exposed more in the pros. So I think the naysayers won out on that one. And I I think it's really interesting because a lot of that chaos just comes from him. Again, he's got to come out of a three-point stance, and he's got to snap, and he's got to get his hands up, and then he'll lose that, that hand battle. Now, there's a lot of things that defensive linemen can do with their hands, and honestly, a, a lot of the losses that I saw from Mason Cole, and I focused mostly on the losses because that's what it's about for offensive line, and that's just like an important part of my process too is you just go pick out the worst moments, and so long as you don't mistake that for an overall evaluation, it can be very informative to say, okay, how does he lose and how worrisome is that? And I think with the hand technique thing, there's, I guess, a lot we can like learn about the way that these these battles go down just by talking about it, which is always exciting for me. But on the whole, it's something that is really, really hard to fix, and you might just have to try to make it easier, which is part of moving him to guard, right? Because you're taking the snap away from him. That's one less thing he has to worry about doing with his hands, and he can even come out of a two-point stance. And so when he did play guard for a couple of games back in 2019, when uh, the Cardinals were dealing with a ton of offensive line injuries, he got to you know pass protect out of a two-point stance. That means his hand wasn't in the dirt. That means he was already in a good posture. That means it was way less work to set up his base, way less work to get his hands up, and it worked out a little bit better. Center is just harder than guard. So like, for example, one way a defensive tackle would attack a center is with like a push-pull, which is exactly what it sounds like, right? You push somebody right up in their shoulder pads to get them off balance, and then you kind of grab them and you pull them past you, kind of like you're taking a poster down off the wall. It's like that arm motion. You pull them past you, and that's a way to get penetration. And so if you can meet their hands head on, let's say they throw a punch at you, you throw a punch at them, and your hands kind of like meet. It's almost a little romantic. Um, And you can just throw those hands out of the way, then, you know, you have a free shot to get a punch in on their shoulder to mess up their leverage. And now they're the ones that have to respond to you and, and they're recovering right now. You're controlling where this matchup is going and in pass protection that's a really bad thing for the offensive lineman. Most of the time when I saw him lose, it was a very dedicated pass rush move. You couldn't just like get up in him and bull rush him and take him back, right? If you're like a particularly powerful person. I didn't see nearly as much of that, except unless you're like Akeem Hicks, which is, well, you know, like that's not fair. Or like Aaron Donald, like, you know, he does that to everybody. But on the whole, it seemed more like it's it's all about that hand technique. And if he could win the hand battle, if that frantic hand fighting won, and he was the one that got his hands locked into your shoulders as a defensive lineman, then it was a lot easier for him to win the rep. Now listen, there's a decent chance that none of this comes up, right? That the actual starters on the interior linemen are Garrett Bradbury and two guys who are not on the team yet, and Ezra Cleveland goes out to left tackle, which would be a great scenario, right? Because it probably means they've spent quite a bit on O-line, and that's probably a good free agent and a big draft pick, and, and you you know, you maybe repaired the unit. Uh, but if he does have to play, I think moving into guard, and the Vikings seem to agree with this, I think moving into guard ha- has a decent potential to get some better play out of him. Is it going to be Marshall Yonda? No, but it doesn't have to be. We did an exercise earlier in the offseason, if you can just get this guard, this this pass protection up to 50 percentile, median, just okay, 
the offense on the whole and change nothing else about the offense, change nothing about the way Kirk responds to pressure, nothing about the run pass and nothing about it, right? The offense on the whole goes from 11th to 7th in EPA per play just by getting the offensive line from what it was to the medians. You don't need a good one. You don't need the best one. You just need an okay one and you can have a profound effect on the offense. I think Mason Cole gets you close to that. And I think there are plenty of scenarios. Like I would say we're on the right side of the bell curve if we're moving him to guard. Um, and, and I think in this particular case, it seems like guard is a more comfortable position for him and that the problems that he has are exacerbated a lot by having to do the snap by having to a, his snaps are bad, right? And B, he has to snap, get his hands up, get his base built. He's always coming out of a three-point stance, even on pass protection reps where everybody else is coming out of a two-point stance where they can have their posture already up and already be set to accept a big rush. Mason Cole has to do more work when you're at center. Center's just that much more difficult to do there. And so what if we made things easier on the guy? You would expect things would get a little better when it comes to his actual production. And that's what I think we have to hope for with Mason Cole. Or we hope for a world where the Vikings do so much more drastic stuff on the offensive line, which is still absolutely an option available to them. Go listen to yesterday's show. They totally still can. If they do that, that's an even better scenario where we don't end up needing Mason Cole and he becomes like backup number one. He's our Nick Easton. And then you have Rashad Hill as a backup tackle. Then you're really cooking with gas. But like I said at the top of the show, range of outcomes, right? If he becomes our next Brett Jones, he's just a backup center and that's it, then that's probably worth a sixth round pick still. If he just keeps making the team every year and he keeps resigning and stuff, then that that was a good move. Um, And that's worst case, right? If the, the worst, worst case is he doesn't make the team again, I would be surprised. But the best case scenario is that the move to guard really works and he actually is a good guard. And then we're sitting here around this time next offseason going, we should probably extend Mason Cole. That's a really good situation to be in and one that I'm going to root for. So we'll see what else happens over the weekend. Hopefully by Monday, we've got something to talk about. If not, of course, Monday is Mock Draft Monday, so make sure you stick around there. In the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at NFL. Shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. See you all next week. And as always, Skull.